This podcast was produced by Big Night Media, a proud partner of Big Night Entertainment. Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. <laughs> Pierce buries it. Tatum drives down and throws it down. This is my season. Can I be? What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How we doing, how we doing? And welcome to episode 211, episode 211 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? Hope you had a great St. Patrick's Day weekend. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And as you know, I'm part of the Big Night Media team with some great podcasts like the Wicked Fast Podcast, 30 Flirty and Surviving, I'm the Promoter, He's the DJ, Eat the Damn Cake, Drinks After Work, Daycations, Be Fit, Music Your missing a chance to strive no limits with kevin cooney and so many other great podcasts you can always check out at bignightmedia.com and if you're into sports cards don't forget to check out card vault breaks every single day morning afternoon night whatever the case may be facebook whatnot youtube instagram you can always go check them out as well down at patriot place or down at foxwoods resort casino and you can always follow big night media on instagram at big night media check out Timmy Ticket Tuesday, your chance to win free tickets to upcoming shows at Big Night Live. And you can always get your Banner Banter Podcast merchandise. Get ready for hopefully a very long playoff run. Support the podcast at BigNightShop.com. Great. Okay. Let's talk about the current state of the Boston Celtics. They go 2-2 two and two this week, or this past week, I should say, and are currently 40 40- nine and 23 they only got 10 regular season games left let me just say this i'm recording this early on sunday morning so when you wake up uh and you're listening to the podcast on monday if the standings aren't exactly right that's why i gotta work a show tonight at big night live so get the fuck over it okay great super so even though the celtics did lose to the Utah Jazz uh, on Saturday night. Uh, they have clinched a playoff spot, so congratulations. But last week, they lost to the Houston Rockets, 111-109. to Then they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves, 104-102. They beat the Portland Trailblazers, 126-112, to and lost to the Utah Jazz, 118-117. to This week, they're finally ending this ridiculous road trip uh, against the Sacramento Kings on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Then they come home to play the Pacers on Friday night at 7 p.m., and then the Spurs... Sunday night at 6 p.m. Again, 10 games left, six at home, four on the road, and that including well, dip, 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 that is including games against the Bucks and the 76ers who are now ahead of them in the standings. That is right. The Boston Celtics are now the three seed in the Eastern Conference. Ugh. It's so fucking annoying. But let's talk about it, shall we? So, since the Bucks went on their insane 15, 16, 128 game win streak, whatever the case may be, they are 5 and 3. 5 plus 3 is a total of 8, and in the last 8 games for the Philadelphia 76ers, they are 8-0. 
They've won eight in a row, including a win over the Bucks, and the Celtics are four and four. So that's probably why the Celtics have dropped from second now to third. Again, it's only percentage points, and I know what you're saying. Well, what about the tiebreaker you're obsessed with? This is why I'm obsessed with the tiebreaker. Because, for example, percentage points-wise, because the Celtics only have 10 games left and the 76ers have, uh, whatchamacallit, um, 12 games left, if the Celtics and the 76ers tie with the same exact record, guess who has the two seed? The Celtics do. Even though they may have sucked to end the season, the 76ers are really good to end the regular season, this is still a huge help. This is why tiebreakers are so important. Now, again, this tiebreaker may not matter at all if the Celtics keep playing the way that they are and the 76ers are playing the as well as they are. So the Bucks have 12 games left, one being tonight, uh, since I am, again, recording early on Sunday, and it's against the Toronto Raptors. Then they play the Spurs and go on a road trip against the Jazz, Nuggets, Pistons, and Pacers, all before that big game on March 30th in Milwaukee against the Boston Celtics. The 76ers, they also have 12 games left, including a game on Monday night versus the Bulls, and then they have to play the Bulls again, nice little home-and-home, and and then they go on the road, Warriors, Suns, Nuggets, Dallas, and then the Raptors before they have to play the Bucks and the Celtics in three days, April 2nd, April 4th. They play the Bucks on April 2nd. They play the Celtics on April 4th. Very, the huge implications to both of those games. Now, according to tankathon.com, the 76ers have the hardest remaining schedule left in the NBA. The Celtics are ninth and the Bucks are 17th. At this point, In my opinion, unless the Celtics can get a win in Milwaukee on March 30th against the Bucs, the one seed's kind of out of the picture. And now we're really focusing on the two seed. It sucks. I hate to say it. There's still a shot. I just don't see it happening. Again, I could be wrong, and I would love to be wrong. I just don't see that happening. The Celtics, I mean, I'm sorry, the 76ers are actually playing very good basketball. I mean, you could literally argue since the All-Star break, they are the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. But this, their schedule the last week is re- really could make or break if the Celtics are going to have the two seed or the third seed. And to be honest with you, I would prefer having home court against the 76ers versus having to go to that intense crowd in Philadelphia if you are the Celtics. And listen, we all know the Celtics love to make things more difficult for themselves. But in this case, I would prefer home court. And here's the thing. The last handful of games for the 76ers, and I'm going to be talking about this a lot because it is so important. So if it if it's repetitive or annoying or if I sound a broken record, so be it. But I just have to lay into the importance of this. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, the Hawks, and the Nets are the final five games for the whatchamacallit, the 76ers. And the Bucks will most will probably not be fighting for a seeding at that point, but the Heat will. The Hawks will, and the Nets will. So that's going to be super important because the Heat and the Hawks, if they want to go back and forth and who's going to have home court for the playing game to actually get that seventh seed is also very important for the Celtics as well because if they have the two seed, that's who you could be playing in the second round. And again, I'm confident if the Hawks are there, I have no problem playing the Hawks in the playoffs. I I think the Celtics could beat them very easily. The Heat, for whatever reason, we always have a hard time with the Heat, even when they stunk this year. So... All of this is all very important, and we all have to keep an eye on it. It's just not keeping an eye on the Celtics. It's also like, hey, if the Celtics start finding a rhythm, but the 76ers and the Bucks still have a rhythm, that rhythm may not count, and next thing you know, 
you're going to be the three seed, and that's really not ideal. But the Celtics do have two back-to-backs left, which means we won't see Al two more times this year, which means he'll be available for eight out of the ten games, which in my opinion is very good news. I mean, it, it could be less depending on you know how the records play out or do they set out the last couple games? Who knows? The 76ers have two back-to-backs left and the Bucks have three back-to-backs left. Now, speaking of Al Horford, we should probably talk about his buddy Rob Williams, who supposedly should be back this week. Last week, I think it was on the 14th or the 15th, they said that he would be back uh, within five to seven days. So hopefully we're seeing him on Tuesday against the Sacramento Kings. If not, we should definitely be seeing him against the Indiana Pacers on Friday night TD Garden. There's no word on Peyton Pritchard yet when he'll be coming back, and I want to apologize to my buddy Carl. Uh, Unfortunately, Gallinari isn't back. I was hoping he'd be back by St. Patrick's Day. It was just a long shot, and I swung into my and I missed. But what we really have to talk to or talk about uh, this week is your stud and dud of the week. We're going to start it early, so hit the music. And now it is time for the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, your stud and dud of the week for episode 211 of the Banner Banter Podcast. Your stud of the week is Jalen Brown because he needs some motherfucking respect put on his name. Now, real quick, before we talk about how well Jalen has been playing as of late, he had a very interesting informative and honest chat with the New York Times. I suggest you uh, take some time to read it to talk about how he disagrees with ownerships, uh, ownerships, uh, Wick and Pags, aka ownership, on a few things, but willing to put that aside because he wants to win a championship. He also talks about how there are a small percentage of Celtics fans that he still feels are racist and that they attack Jalen as a person when they lose, but not the player. He also talks about how he believes uh, a black man in this area, it's very hard to buy housing or start a business. And whether you believe him or not, I do believe him. Um, to me, with him saying all this, plus during the All-Star Game weekend, he him talking about the sacrifice he has to make um, for being the number two guy behind Jason Tatum, I am more confident in my stance that Jalen is going to be leaving when his contract is up, which is I do not want to happen at all. But if he's not a fan of the fan base or doesn't like how the city treats African-Americans and he agree, disagrees with ownership and he feels like he should be a number one, ugh, yikes. Uh, I feel like that's a good enough reason to leave any city. Now, obviously, if he makes All-NBA this year, the Celtics can offer him the most money. It'll be interesting to see how Jalen um, approaches that situation. But anyways, everyone say it with me. I've said it once. I'll say it a million times. Take a deep breath here. Jalen Brown is the most important player on this team, and as of late, Jalen Brown is the best player on this team by a mile. By a mile. Maybe maybe even two miles. Jalen Brown should be getting last-minute looks at the end of games, not fucking number 12. I mean, can you imagine number 12 having such a great game? His Tennessee Volunteers beat the Duke Blue Devils in the tournament, he shot the ball well, and then decides, yeah, I'm going to try and go up against two huge people, height-wise, and try and win the game. No. Jalen Brown should have got that last look, not Jason Tatum. No one. And I get why Joe Missoula wants to give Tatum the ball 
at the end of games. He's proven himself. We saw it in the 76ers game. We've seen it in the Nets game, in the playoffs. We've seen it in game six against the Bucs. Jason Tatum can come up clutch in big moments. But right now, that ain't working. And you know what is working? Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown deserves to get more looks at the end of the game when he is carrying the team throughout the entire game. Jalen Brown, since the All-Star break, with a mask... Due to a broken face, he's averaging 28 points per game, which is more than Jason Tatum, six boards, four assists, shooting 50% from the field and 39% from three. Now, of course, his turnovers are still not ideal. And at this point, we may just have to deal with it. But right now, Jalen Brown takes a jump shot. I am more confident in that jump shot than I am Jason Tatum's. And I am more confident that Jalen will attack the rim harder than anyone else on this team. And I am more confident Jalen is taking every single game seriously. And I am more confident that Jalen is the leader of this team. I mean, just this week alone, 43, 35, 27, 25. Now, led the team to a 2-2 two and two record, but sure, that 43-point game against the Rockets kind of sucked, kind of a wasted performance. But can you imagine if Jalen didn't play that well? Because Jason Tatum didn't play that well. But... Jalen Brown needs to be appreciated, needs to be respected by this fan base more than he ever has before. Because if Jalen doesn't play at this level that he has been playing since the All-Star break, this team may have to be worried about the fucking four seed, not the one seed. Okay? And the dud of the week is his buddy Jason Tatum. And to be honest with you, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what happened. Is it is like the left wrist that bad? Something has to be up. I don't know if the three-point contest fucked up his shooting like it does like a home run hitter during the home run derby, but something's, something's off. And listen, I talked about this on January 17th on my podcast. I forget what number. I just remember it was the day before my birthday, right after I got back um, from my trip from Charlotte when he dropped 50 points. And I was complaining about he's taking too many three-pointers and he's not shooting well. He was taking about nine three-pointers a game during a very rough stretch of shooting, and now he's taking 10 a game. And I'll get to that in a second, okay? But this this dude, since the All-Star break, has not been very good, and it is wildly concerning, if you ask me. Like, do I think Jason Tatum should be in the MVP convo right now? No, I don't. Like, and to be honest with you, I don't care that he just scored 2,000 points in a single season either. Like, congrats on the sex. I don't care about that. I care about Jason Tatum being right for the playoffs because Banner 18 is more fucking important than the goddamn scoring title. So... Since the All-Star break, Jason Tatum is averaging 29% from three. He has taken 123 pointers in 12 games. That's 10 a game. So even though he was shooting poorly in January, he has decided even in March, I'm still shooting poorly and I'm going to take more per game. He has made 35 of those 123s, which is about 2.9 per game. Let's just say it's three for easy math. And guess what? Two out of those games, he's hit zero. So he has hit... (laughs) like think about that Jason Tatum in the last 12 games 10 of those he's hit a three-pointer but two of them he's hit zero and you know during the bubble when he went like one of 19 everyone was like oh my god twice since the all-star break a goose egg in the three-point mark now here's the thing and this is where I start getting angry and I start getting really fucking annoyed because it makes zero sense to me Jason Tatum has only taken 113 shots inside the three-point line since the All-Star break. And guess how many he's made? 63, which is 55.7% from the field. Okay? 29% from three. 55.7 from anywhere inside the three-point line. The three-point average across the league this year is 37.6. Tatum, since the All-Star break, is 8.7. 
percentage points below that, and this season as a whole, he is 34.5, which is still below the league average. Oh, and by the way, this is the lowest of his career. His average three-point shooting throughout his entire career before this season is 37.5, and now he's shooting 34.5 this season, and since the All-Star break, 29%. But guess what? He's shooting 54.7% inside the three-point line. Okay? His career average is 50%. So he's having the best season ever inside the three-point line. And listen, I know that Joe Mazzulla is telling him threes. Take all the threes. Joe Mazzulla loves the threes. He's obsessed with threes. I get why it's the way the NBA is now. But what in the actual fuck, dude? Think about it. 29% or 55%. And whether you think I am a fucking idiot who has a podcast and has enough money to pay for season tickets or not, we both know that the right thing to do here is take a fucking two-point shot. And if you don't get a two-point shot to fall in, go to the fucking free throw line where you are shooting 86%. Like, what? I mean, since we're spiraling like real bad, like like let's spiral real bad over this, okay? Because it's really fucking annoying me. Look at all the wins since the All-Star break with the Celtics and Jason Tatum. They have beat the Pacers, they beat the Phillies, they beat the Cavs, the Phillies, <laughs> the 76ers. So they beat the Pacers, the 76ers, the Cavs, the Hawks, the T-Wolves, and the Trailblazers twice. In those games, he has averaged over 10 free throws a game, which on average, he makes about eight and a half of those. In five out of the six losses since the All-Star break, because remember, he didn't play one of the Cavs games where Grant Williams missed uh, two free throws, and I just called him, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call him a, a Grant Williams in this case, because he did shoot very well yesterday, but number 12 fucking blew the game. Um, so in five of those six losses, he's only averaging five free throws. In one of those games, he had 12, and that was that double overtime game against the Knicks. So if you take that loss away, when Jason Tatum doesn't get to the free throw line, since the All-Star break, in losses, he has shot one free throw, two free throws, four four free throws, and six free throws. So what the fuck? And listen, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but Jason Tatum attacking the rim is a good thing. Jason Tatum taking a step in from the three-point line is a good thing. You got a 55% chance of it going in. Jason Tatum taking a mid-range jumper. 55% chance of it going in. Jason Tatum getting fouled within that area, averaging 10 free throws a game. 85% chance that those free throws go in or take fucking 10 three-pointers and only watch two of them go in. (laughs) Fuck, man. It's so annoying. It's like, I get he's technically doing what the coach is asking of him. But for God's sake, just take a step in or attack the rim more. Ugh. Because it works. Literally, you could just like, I know it's so much more numbers than just analytics and, and all that shit. But if Jason Tatum goes to the free throw line, the Celtics win. If Jason Tatum shoots poorly from the three-point line, the Celtics lose. Ugh. Now, with, that, with all that being said, Jason Tatum's rebounding as of late has been very good and very helpful, especially with the uh, absence of Rob. But Jason Tatum can't play as much as he did against the Jazz the other night and only get three rebounds. But he can rack up 15 against the Trailblazers when he drops 30 and everyone's like, oh, he's back. I need less three-pointers from Jason Tatum unless 
all of a sudden his shot comes back. But to me, one game going 6 of 10 doesn't mean you're back. I need multiple games like that because you need multiple games to win a series in the NBA playoffs to get to the NBA finals. Okay, that's your stud and dud of the week for episode 211. Jason Tatum is your stud. I'm sorry, Jason Tatum is your dud and Jalen Brown is your stud. All right, I'm so glad I got that off my chest. Hopefully my therapist wasn't listening. Okay, um, listen, I'm, uh, I'm really not going to talk about the Jazz or Rockets game or the Timberwolves or the Trailblazers game, to be honest with you. Actually, I'm really not going to talk about last week at all. I, I will say we saw some good things, but I'm still seeing no motivation, the team not wanting it, the lack of holding on to a big lead, and giving up the offensive rebounds. And let me let me just say this. Actually, yeah, actually, let's talk about the offensive rebounds real quick. And listen, I understand Rob didn't Rob and Al didn't play on Saturday, so that's obviously very important. And Rob hasn't played a lot during this um, road trip and after the All Star break as well. But before the All Star break, the Celtics allowed the fourth least amount of offensive rebounds per game at nine, which you know I feel like is pretty good. And post All Star break, it's the tenth most with eleven. Again, not ideal. These past four games this week, the Celtics allowed 12 offensive rebounds, three more before what they usually do before the All-Star break, and one more after the All-Star break. They allowed 12 offensive rebounds per game, 15 versus the Rockets and 17 versus the Jazz. And then they did eight versus the Timberwolves and eight versus the Trailblazers. And I am going to give you a few seconds right now to figure out what happened in the Rockets and Jazz game where they allowed 15 offensive rebounds and 17 offensive rebounds. So I'm going to give you a couple seconds to yourself to figure out what happened in those games. They lost. They fucking lost. I don't care how bad the team is. I don't care if they want Wemby. I don't care if they want Scoot Henderson. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care how many injuries there are. I don't care how bad their coaching is. But if you are going to allow that many offensive rebounds, that many second chance points, you are going to lose whether you are the 96 Bulls, the 85 Celtics, the 2016 Warriors. You will fucking lose. (sighs) Anyways, let's talk about the three games this week, shall we? Um, Great, thanks. Uh, The first, well... I mean, if the Celtics are looking for some competition and if the Celtics are looking for some motivation, this is a good game to get hype up for because this is arguably the best league pass team in the NBA right now. The 43-27 and 27 Light the Beam Sacramento Kings. That They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games with some of the best fans in the league, so the place is going to be rowdy. They have the second best effective field goal percentage in the league and the best offensive rating in the league. The season overall... They are number one at 118 for the offensive rating. And since the All-Star break, they're at 124 for their offensive rating, where the Celtics are 115 post-All-Star break. But here's the thing. They don't play defense. They're bottom five or six in the league before and after the All-Star break in defensive read, in defensive rating. And this hopefully should be a big game for Jason Tatum. And I say that because Jason Tatum loves to play a lot of offense, just kind of like the All-Star game. This is just going to be run down the court, shoot, run down the court, shoot. And I feel like that's what Jason Tatum loves and needs in his life. The Sacramento Kings, since the All-Star break, are averaging 128 points per game. Let me say that again. 128 points per game. The Celtics have scored that many points or more only 12 times this year. The Kings have done it 20, and six of those times have been since the All-Star break. So it's like, where do you want me to begin? Their veteran coach, Mike Brown who's coached LeBron James, who's coached Steph Curry, 
whatever the case may be. Do you want me to start with uh, Keegan Murray, the rookie, 6'8", small forward who can score, defend, and do whatever the Sacramento Kings ask of him? Or we could talk about the fastest guy in the league with De'Aaron Fox. He can score and get by anyone, especially a beat-up and uh, I believe has taken a step back, Marcus Smart. We could talk about um, Sabonis, who will get so many offensive rebounds in this game, and it will make me want to jump off the State Street building, which, by the way, if you're from Boston or work in Boston, whatever the case may be, have you ever looked at this new State Street building You know, above the old government center parking garage? It kind of looks like a PlayStation 5, doesn't it? No? Just me? Okay, anyways. But Sabonis, in three of his last four games against the Celtics, he has scored 18 points, 30 points, 17, and 11. But in those four games, <laughs> he has pulled down 10 rebounds, 20 rebounds, 6 rebounds, and 22 rebounds. 20 rebounds and 22 rebounds in two of the last four games against the Celtics. So I don't know. Find him. Put a body on him. Put your butt into him. I don't care. Box him the fuck out. I like I might go on the win sporting bet app right now and bet the over on Sabonis rebounds, whatever the rebounding total is, even if Rob's out there. But if Rob's not out there, I will put my life savings down that he'll get a fuck ton of rebounds. I mean, I do feel bad for the Kings. They did just lose Kevin Herter, their third scoring option, their third leading scorer on the team with a knee injury, but they still got Harrison Barnes, veteran, can score wherever he wants. Malik Monk. Hot or cold, but once he's hot, that's a dangerous three-point shooter. Terrence Davis, Davion Mitchell off the bench. They're all available. They also got this uh, Matu guy from USC who can rebound the ball as well. Just a strong, physical guy off the bench for them. But for the Celtics, you win this game by playing defense. Like we know the Celtics' defense is. A lot of switching, a lot of communication, doing well in your rotations, limiting second-chance points. And you got to love to rebound the ball you just like you gotta love it you gotta want to rebound the ball because scoring the ball on this Sacramento uh, Kings team shouldn't be hard I mean let's be honest the Celtics will probably make it look hard but scoring shouldn't be the op shouldn't be the difficult part here in this game the difficult part should be limiting second chance points and playing defense against a very fast-paced team <sighs> I, I'm listen I would not be surprised if the Celtics lose this game but if they do it's going to be because of what they did in November. They defended, they rebounded, and they scored at will. Now, Pacers, Spurs, Friday, Sunday, TD Garden. I'm sure it'll be nice to be home after a long road trip. I can't wait to go to the games. It's I feel like it's been forever. But the Pacers game, the last time you played them, you needed OT to beat them. And the last time they came to the TD Garden, they beat you. So, hopefully, I'm not jinxing this in any way, shape, or form with what I'm about to say, but I am confident Miles Turner will not go 8 of 10 from 3 in the game like he did last time where the Celtics needed overtime right after the All-Star break to beat the Pacers. Since he's gone 8 of 10, Miles Turner is shooting 21% from 3. Just a little bit less than Jason Tatum. But, of course, knowing our luck, as the Boston Celtics fans, he'll probably go 9 of fucking 14 from 3. I mean, Aaron Neesmith will give you hell on the defensive end. I think he's always fired up playing the Celtics, feel like he didn't get a fair opportunity, which is you know completely fair by him. But at the same time, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was in front of him, so what are you supposed to do? Uh, his three-point shot has improved in well uh, as well. Tyrese Halliburton, their best player, he got hurt with an ankle injury. And last week, Rick Carlisle said he would be out the next three games. He's already missed two of those. The next one is Monday night. 
for them. So we will see, maybe we get to see him, maybe not. If not, that's a huge advantage for the Celtics. The Pacers are only, what, a game and a half, maybe a game out from the play-in bid. So they'll want to show up, and they'll want to give a great effort against one of the best teams in the league, and the Celtics have to match their intensity. And then the Spurs game, I want to say I'm confident in it, but they have the same record as the fucking Rockets who the Celtics just lost to. But, I mean, I don't know. The Spurs were just up 29 the other night on the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies came back to win. You know, they still got Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, great future for them, but I swear to God, if the Celtics lose this game, that that might be my breaking point because I, I feel like I've done very well staying positive, realizing it's a long season, blah, 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 blah. But I really have nothing else to say about the fucking Spurs game, and I'm trying not to spiral about going in-depth about the fucking Spurs because I know that the Celtics can beat the Spurs. It's just, do they want to beat the Spurs? And I can't figure that out because sometimes they want it, other times they don't. And oh yeah, one last thing. I know a way that the Celtics can win these games, okay? And that's by playing fucking Derek White in the fourth quarter of the game. Joe Mazzulla, you did not play Derek White in the fourth quarter of the Jazz game. Why? I'll, like, I will literally sit here for four hours and wait for you to just tell me. I know you'll never tell me because you probably don't listen, but I need to know why. Derek White is the third best player on this team and should never, ever ever, 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 ever not play in the fourth quarter, especially against a shitty team like the Jazz, and especially when Marcus Smart's not playing. So figure that the fuck out, Joe Missoula. All right? Thanks. Episode uh, 211 is now over. Don't forget to follow me on the Twitter machine at BannerBancher18 or on Facebook and Instagram at BannerBancher Podcast. Don't forget to go check out some merchandise at BigNightShop.com. Support the podcast. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it. We'll talk to you next week for episode 212. Thanks so much for listening. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.